We are, so we're continuing this topic of uh, insurance, quote unquote, um, puffery, puffery, <laughs> embellishment. Yes. So, um, so when I honestly have, I'm not in any better place than last Morning. week. Two jackets. Wow. Um, I'm not in any better place than last week as far as um, knowing any more answers. <laughs> but we're going to work through this together and try to figure it out. So, so first of all, of course, there's a connection to the parsha, which really isn't, but I'll mention anyway, which is the Ten Commandments this week is Lo Tignov, Thou shalt not steal. But as we discussed in many previous contexts, that um, stealing, the, the Ten Commandments stealing is not referring to stealing. It's a myth. When the Torah says, Thou shalt not steal, in the Ten Commandments, there's nothing to do with stealing, but actually, according to a rabbinic interpretation, it's referring to kidnapping, of actually stealing bodies. Okay, well, no one's here. Okay. So you're allowed to steal no, stuff? No, there is no, other, there's two other places in the Torah which talks about the prohibition of stealing monetary theft, but in the Ten Commandments, it's specifically referring to kidnapping. Also, um, if, you find your, if you find something, you have to return it. So, if you steal it, you have to return it. That's true. The Torah does say that also. Mm-hmm. That there is an obligation. Well, you, you can rectify your stealing by returning it. Yes, yes there is a mitzvah in the Torah. It says, don't, if you steal, there's a mitzvah of to return a stolen object, <coughs> and you rectify your sin of stealing by returning it. Okay, so so again, so that's so it's really not connected to the parsha, but I figured I'll mention that anyway. Um, so so today's topic, so again, we're we're like to I don't know if we'll finish it, but so, and I'm struggling with it. I've spoken to actually a few doctors, a few rabbis. No one has good answers, but uh, I think so. We're going to start from the angle of um, the only thing I found written about it. Besides, I think we read this last week, which is here on the bottom. Of course. Um, the Shulchan Aruch does I mean, say the tenth uh, commandment might be applicable to this topic: adultery or um, coveting. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, it, you know, because it's stretch, so vague, the coveting—it's—it's it's a stretch. You, like you use the example, you're going to visit somebody, and somebody else thinks you're coming to visit. You're, he's coveting a certain. Well, no, because he wouldn't really know you're going to visit the other guy. But he's coveting the, the idea that you're visiting him, in a certain sense. Okay. Okay. So he's putting you yes. in a very awkward position by pretty much demanding. Many people have told me in my classes that's a stretch, Rabbi. <laughs> that's a, right. so I'm a trying to help you out here. Forget <laughs> about it. <laughs> I hear you, but okay. So, uh, um, so like this. Okay. So what I was saying is, I'd like to come from the angle of first addressing the what I have found addressed, and we maybe touched upon it in the past, and then from there sort of go to the next step. So what is addressed is cases um, not uh, of of trying to um, to trick the insurance company into paying for better care for the patient. So it's not about so what they're addressing here is not about making more money. It's about if there's a benefit for the patient, if you feel this this mode of treatment is better than what the insurance company is allowing, can I lie to the insurance company or trick them or fraud them, whichever language you want to use, embellish the claim in order to get the better treatment for the patient. So that is addressed, um, and I'm assuming that comes up also in care. So it's not about the physician making more money in this case. It's a little more altruistic. It's about uh, or not making more money or even being compensated for his duties. It's more about 
if there's better care for the patient, does that give me a right to lie to the insurance company? Okay. Yes, the question the other way. Is the insurance company allowed to that's, that's offer question. less service in order oh, to... Insurance company, we know they're murderers. <laughs> they're, uh, they're murderers. That is the Ten Commandments. They're all considered uh, um, murderers. It's a capital crime. They deserve to, to die. But we're not discussing that. We're discussing, again, from the, from the lying perspective, the lying point of the physician, can he lie? Now there is, by the way, and that's, I think part of this is, according to what I've been hearing, is that the insurance company also many times is lying and cheating, meaning it's from both directions. So, <laughs> I don't, I don't so think what they're telling me is the facts of life. I think the, 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 a major point is that insurance companies aren't necessarily lying. Insurance companies aren't? No, they're not necessarily lying. They're, they have many diagnoses. Trying to Jew you down. No, no, that's right. They leave the diagnosis suitably vague so they can say, no, that's not what we mean. So that we're rejecting this claim. So by the same token, you're left in a position of choosing between suitably vague diagnosis. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put it in the category of lying. You're trying to figure out what works, really, in a certain sense. I don't know. Am I the only one who feels that way? Yes. Okay. So we'll get that's we'll get to that stage. One second. This is the no one lies because you can't lie. No one says, "Hey, I did this operation. I read another one." The lawyers look at it very carefully and they say, "Yeah, that's not really lying." You. Okay, so yeah, so we'll get, so so that might be already getting towards the state of why there's maybe some leniencies in permission, but, but we're not there yet, so hold, hold that thought, that is important. Um, so, so again, we're going to start from this angle, and then hopefully, I think we can maybe extrapolate from this to, to the real question, which is the coding, <coughs> as far as just to make, to be compensated for your work. Okay, so, so we're actually going to start with on this side of the page, the Hebrew side. First, I apologize. Too lazy to translate. Um, so you'll have to bear with my translation as I, as I read it. So this is, there's two, there's two uh, actual cases here. Um, two cases that were asked to a rabbi in 1993. Um, I asked to Rabbi Silberstein in Israel. Now, um, it addresses this issue now again put it in the context you have to realize the context here is socialized medicine in the state of Israel um, where you're not dealing with private insurance companies you're dealing with you know which is government but and that might affect the answer to the question but just bear that in very mind. applicable here in the states so. yes Bernie wins <laughs> so okay so let's so let's uh, so let's read it together and I'll try to translate it to the best of my ability with Ron's help if I need so, so the, the title here is um, Harama tricking or uh, tricking. Top of the page, the bold letters Harama al kupat cholim, tricking the kupat cholim kidei latet lecholim tipul tov yoter in order to give the patients um, better treatment. Okay, Am I, is this considered Talmud? Is what considered the back is the sponsor. The front but, is. But I thought you said this is something that happened in 1993. Yes, it's but, a response. but it's a question that was posed. The answer is going to be he'll bring from the Talmud, which is on the other yes, side. Sir. He's going to answer it with the Talmud. The question was not okay, discussed in the discuss, Talmud. Uh, the question was posed by a physician to a rabbi in 1993. Okay, it's, uh, okay. it's not considered Talmud as such. The question is the the answer will be. The answer is considered Talmud. Yeah, we'll see. The answer is from the Talmud. Okay, so Marchajvin Tafshin Samagimel 
Um, this took place in, again, like I said, 1993. The Chavod leaves out the name of the rabbi as addressed to, because I guess he didn't want to get arrested. But I don't know what, why. Medubar. What? Hippa. Hippa okay. Medubar Bechola Sobel Mikevim. From a patient who is suffering from pains in their chest, that um, strengthen at the time of eating. Okay, when the patient eats, it sounds like heartburn to me, but clearly they didn't diagnose it as that. Um, as in the, I guess, in the evaluation of the patient, um, a pain in the keva. What's the keva? I don't know. Keva is an obligation. Um, you have your no, keva is, is an organ. I just don't remember what organ. It's, it's an organ in the body. It's the vena cava. No. Keva, you see, it's called yeah. bet. Hey. Yeah. Is that in Aramaic or Hebrew? No, it's Hebrew. It's, it's, it's oh, Hebrew. Stomach. I know it's stomach. Okay. So some type of stomach pains. Humlats um, so they advise the patient bitsua bedikat gastroscope, gastroscopia in Hebrew. That's the mm. gastroscope in English. Asher ti asher which would be permitted according to the that diagnosis. Kupat cholim b'chaver the the, the clinic where this patient, as you know, Israel has a three-tiered system, um, three-tiered health system. Even though it's socialized medicine, you depends. You can either pay nothing or very little, get the lowest tier. You have to wait, to, you know, six months for surgery. You could there's the middle tier which you only made three months for surgery, and there's the highest tier which you only wait one month. And of course, there's private where you get the surgery right away. So there's really four tiers in Israel. But it, so he is part of this kupat cholim. It's saying chaver whichever kupat cholim it was. Nafsheret et pitzua abdika. So they're allowing. I mean, the kupat cholim approved the procedure b'misgeret mirapet gastro shalakupa in the clinic in the gastro clinic of this of the of this kupat uh, cholim. Um, so that's um, this uh, this visit the, the physician a specific physician that's um, he's liable for the case he's uh, responsible for the case so he had to um, recommend the clinic of the kupa. You do, but he continues the next paragraph. You do the rofe mishpacha shalachole. The um, there was a every Jewish family has a doctor friend that they consult with. So in Israel, it's even worse than here. So he says ki yeshesh avshirudu b'tzeir dika now b'misper get betacholim. He said there was the doctor friend recommended that if they're going to go have this gastro test, it's better to do it in hospital X as opposed to in the clinic. They'll for sure um, allow the bedika and, and okay it. And it's a much better doctor in this hospital deals deals with this type of illnesses. And he says you can't compare the experience of the doctor in the hospital that's going to do the ga- the gastroscope, whatever it's called, gastroscope, as opposed to the one in the clinic. Um, so there's no comparison. The, the quality of the procedure will be done much better in the hospital. So the, the doctor, of the family doctor, that they friends, um, turned to the administrator of the Kupat Cholim. 
um, and he asked to allow them to uh, okay the, this patient doing the gastroscope in the hospital in order to not sure what it means to minimize the Okay. So meaning, so at the end of the day, the hospital... Complication. Complication. So there's less complications to minimize the complications that will take place, etc. Again, it doesn't seem like they really trusted the people in the clinic um, to do the test properly without complications. So the problem is the hospital charge or the test would be much higher than the much higher bill to the kupat cholim than the than the clinic test. Hashelai. So the question is, is it is it okay for the family friend doctor laharim a kupat cholim to in quotes he puts to trick the kupat cholim? Meaning he would have to admit this patient to the hospital and say this patient needs to be admitted. Meaning he can't just walk into the hospital and take the test. Uh, it's not like here, meaning where you could make an appointment at a doctor in the hospital. Either you go to the clinic, if you're admitted to the hospital, they'll do the test in the hospital. But you have to have a reason for admission. So can the family doctor say, because he knows the test will be better in the hospital, admit the patient to the hospital for no reason really, um, and trick the kubat cholim, and now that the, this patient's in the hospital, they're going to do the gastroscope in the hospital as opposed to the clinic. Miskarato a gastroscope to do the the gastroscope through the much more experienced and excellent doctor. Or is that called stealing from the kupat cholim? Because it's going to cost obviously admit, admit the patient. They're going to have to pay for the patient admission, being in the hospital, and in general, hospital prices seem higher than the clinic. Yes. How is that stealing from uh, the clinic? Because the price. Not stealing from the clinic. It's all one. It's the it's the government socialized the government. medicine. So you're meaning the government is now going to have to pay much more for the same gastroscope than they would have paid at the clinic. Now they're paying double the price in the hospital or whatever. I, I don't know whether it adds something to one this second, case. One second, one second, one second. Yeah, yeah. I understand. But so, it's the, a, so that's the question. Are you stealing from the coupon? It may be appropriate to get it from the hospital, you know, have it done in the hospital. No, it's the same scope. We don't know. It's, no, well, it's the same exact test. They're just saying this guy has more experience. So is that a reason that I can lie to the coupon and admit the patient, quote-unquote, fraudulently into the hospital? in order to do the scope. The patient has nothing wrong with them. They shouldn't be, they don't need to be admitted to a hospital. Why in the first place does the patrolim pay more for the, what, the same test in one place than in another no, place? No, but I think it's also the hospital cost. charge more in the hospital. Overhead. No, it's also the admission, the being, they're paying for a bed, they're paying, the patient is walking, yeah. it's not such thing as being walking uh, into a hospital. But the other thing that might be part of this story, which I'm not sure, is embedded underneath his name of the questioner, because he's from Merkaz Schneider. And Schneider is pediatric. And so I don't know if this is a pediatric gastroscope or if an adult gastroscope. What's the, why would that make it? No, it's a different. It's it, higher risk with kids. Uh, yeah. So the question is, there may be an embedded complication inherent in this question mm -hmm. that's not being outwardly stated. Okay. Just putting that's, that out yeah, there. That's true. You always got to look at the context. Very right. important point. So uh, again, Schneider is Schneider's the pediatric hospital yes, at That's true. I can read Hebrew. Really, a problem. Well, I visited that place. I worked there. So, well, like, who's the I guy writing the letter? Maybe you. Uh, 
maybe this is you. I wasn't there. Is the guy writing the letter the friend of the families? That's a good question. I don't know. The family, Doctor. He looks like No, it doesn't say who's asking the question. He's a pediatric physician, this guy, of some sort. For, yeah, yeah. we don't know what his connection to the case is. We have yeah. no idea. Correct. Right. So there are a lot of... But let's questions. assume, I think, Ron's right, we could assume that this is the family doctor asking the question. Um, or, well, it sounds like they're speaking third person, but then I don't know if that's we don't know. proof. Yeah. Okay, so that's um, one question. That's case study number one. I think we have both. This questions. is, by the way, I don't think a, a very good question, the way so that he posed say, it yeah. to the rabbi. Because there's no proof either way. He's just sort of throwing out, well, I think it's better to be done in a hospital because I think it's better to be done in a hospital. Oh, like, there's no, yeah. there's nothing. No context. No context. Oh, he says, with more experience, the doctor just better. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor right, does better. it as better. But the only way he'll do it is if the patient's in the hospital. But as we all know, physicians don't know anything about other physicians. So, <laughs> therefore, we only know... Medically. We, well, medically. So, we don't know... All we know is reputation. Yeah. But that... Which you find out from other patients. Right. So, the key is, if this had been an operating room nurse commenting, then I would actually put a lot more value in the question. But, but this is just... We don't know anything. I'm not sure that's true, Ron, because... Most of these questions are not based upon facts or evidence. They're all judgment calls. Mm -hmm. So the question That's is really, point. whose judgment, exactly. whose judgment is going to rule? Exactly. So no, if you had said, oh, we know that there were complications from this type of scope in this particular center over the past year that we see that their complication rate is higher than in the hospital, then you have some data. Right. But this is just... Here's a, yes, I, I agree with Ron, but let me say... There are no statistics. But, uh, no, they don't give them over yet. But in particularly in cardiovascular disease, if you're going to have a procedure, every doctor and every has got their statistics that they are <laughs> obligated very to give to the patient. I don't know about yeah. I would say how the statistics are, are made are also. If you're doing a, a carotid bypass, you've got to say my incidence of stroke is two percent. It's it's more complicated than that, but I hear what you're saying. But this has nothing. Okay, right. but no, so I want to. So giving, I agree with you. Giving, it's not giving even a lay person. It's not giving enough information. Yes, that's true. But so I'll tell you why. You, you have a, your point is 100 percent taken, but it's irrelevant to the question because again, what we're trying to address. Let me explain. No, no, I want to explain. Do we assume that the clinic is that the hospital is better, or do we not? It's, we that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's irrelevant. One second. Let me explain. Let me explain why it's irrelevant. Ron has a very good point, but it's irrelevant to <laughs> what we are discussing. Is because the question is even assuming it's 100 percent better. We know the facts, and there's numbers, there's statistics, and there's studies, and whatever the case is. Should lie? The question is, can I steal, quote unquote, or right. fraud the insurance? Can I lie to the insurance company for better treatments, even if we know it's 100% better treatment? Here, Ron's adding another point. It might not even be better treatment. Might be the clinic might be better. That's a different question of judging who's better, who's not. But the question is, even if it's, we know, let's assume for argument's sake, for our question on the table is, we know it's 100% better. Does that give me the right to, quote unquote, lie to the insurance company to get the better treatment? Or stealing is stealing. I can't. I, just because it's going to be a 10% or 20%, I am lying. I'm admitting the patient to the hospital who has no need for admission. There's no need to admit this patient to the hospital. That's called lying. Yes. 
Lying is if you want to send it to your bank, make him some, some money. That's called, that's called making money. We're not discussing making money. We're saying, am I allowed to lie for the better treatment, fraud an insurance company because there's going to be better treatment for the patient? That's the question. So if it's actually better or not, that's irrelevant. Yes, I would frame it differently. The physician has an obligation to treat his patient in the best way he believes for the patient. So if the physician believes X and the person paying the bill believes Y, that's really the issue. Yeah. Because whether he's right or not, it doesn't really matter. No, I, mean, so I, I think when I, I don't agree with you. I'll tell you why. Because just in the facts. I think everyone would agree the insurance company's goal is not for the best of the patient. Clearly, the insurance company's goal is to make the most money possible. For surely, surely in socialized medicine, they're not looking out for the patient. Their goal is not to help the patient. No, their goal is it's to... the physician is, that's trying right, to help the patient. Exactly. No, but you said the insurance company is also... You, you, you said both. They're both... No, no, no. The they're not. The physician no. has an obligation to the patient yes. to give him the best treatment. The insurance company only has the obligation to pay for something. I'm not saying they, they're trying to help the patient. I'm just saying right, so, so. the physician is caught in the horns of a dilemma. And the point being, whether he's right or wrong about this is the best treatment, it doesn't matter. Yes, That's exactly. his That's view of it. Yeah, so true. Well, now, again, no, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Because again, right my job no, is a very good point, and, and I think that's going to be part of the answer is and my job as a physician is to do the best care for my patient. As does I that give me the, the right, is. the question on well, the table is, does that give me the right to commit fraud to get the, right the best care I mean, for the no, patient? That happens all the that's time. The I mean, that's an everyday occurrence. That's the question. The insurance company, which has statistics from all the other doctors, knows that you're not correct. No. I would, I would know. It doesn't matter, even though statistics are. Uh, unreliable in a certain sense. Are they less reliable than your judgment about whether that's the right thing or not? Who knows? That's why it's a judgment call. You have, on the one hand, a physician who's committed to caring for the patient. You have an insurance company committed to paying for something, yeah. and they don't agree. Can you, since you're you're initiating the process, can you lie to get them to do what you think is right, whether you're right or not? You think you're right. He's, he's not you think right. you're right. Lie, but you're not right. Let's you say you're you may not be. It doesn't matter. You right believe it to be right. Matter. You're the guy in charge. Why is it an absence insurance will say no. Can in fact be a lie. No, it's not only then an absence. Let me explain. Manny, it's not about a lie. It's about I. the insurance company has criteria for someone who needs admission to the hospital. You can't just take in any guy because, you know, he wants, he's in a rush. He's leaving the country. Therefore, we're going to admit him to the hospital. And the insurance company is going to have to pay ten times more than they would in somewhere else. Because the the doctors are going on vacation tomorrow. That's not. That's called. It's not a lie, but it's it's <coughs> fraud. To a certain extent, well, yeah. quote unquote, you're you're, you're, claiming you're tricking them. Don't use the word lie. You're tricking you're claiming them. Claiming he meets the status of admission when he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. This comes up all the time. Think, of, Russ, think of metformin. Mm -hmm. You know, there's once a day metformin. There's twice a day metformin. Sure there is, yeah. You know this patient. You're lucky if you get him to take medicine one. once a day. The insurance company wants to pay for the twice a day because it's cheaper. It's not the long acting. You say, no, I'm prescribing them once a day. They must take it or else they won't take it. Insurance company says, we don't care. You know, it's not our problem. It's cheaper. The idiot could take it twice a day. You know, so now how do you get around it? You're going to lie somehow because, you know, for the benefit of that patient, they're not going to take it twice Obviously a day. They but it's getting a little lie if you really believe that. You're lying. The question is, are you allowed to lie? It is a lie. The question is, am I, is it an okay lie? That's the question.
the lie. Is I'm saying such a thing? Yeah. It's an okay lie. You know, there is such a thing. So often we do it all the time that we don't even think about it. Exactly. I'm not. I'm not sure it's a lie as much as patient can You have it. You have it. Uh, irresistible force meeting an immovable object. Who's going to prevail? <laughs> Whose judgment will prevail? Okay, so next case so scenario. Many. Next case scenario on the bottom of your page. Um, this was doesn't have a date on it, but it says, In this same topic, I received an additional question. The rabbi is writing. Again, no name. The reason why it's interesting, this rabbi is giving the class, and this is taken from his classes that he gave, but he leaves, meaning he was someone who gets questions from other rabbis. So he leaves, you know, the rabbi gets the question, the rabbi doesn't know the answer. So he sends it to this greater rabbi. That's what. That's why it's not addressed to him. So he says, In the uh, clinic that I work in, which is part of the of the greater Kupat Cholim, the social the medicine uh, in Israel, about 75, a patient, a, woman, a female patient, 75 years old, she batseya bedikot akolev, a heart echogram, is that, what's the echocardiogram, okay, baho, so she, she needs, she came to me, she needs, that's what she needs, baho elach shad, lenochachas krishdam, balias molit, there seemed to be blood clotting, I think that that's what that means, in the left this is one where he wants to have a transesophageal echocardiogram, no, and you did this before. Yeah, I think so. I did it. I never. Yeah, and he did it in different And places. first, they insist they have the regular echo, and he says you don't need that. It's a waste of time. Okay, let's see. Let's see. I don't know. Yeah, I never read it before. No, we sure. might have done it in a different context. Came out. So they suggested to do the echocardiogram yeah, through the esophagus. Isyatsti, I have no idea, you guys remember. Isyatsti in cardiologist. So we consulted with the cardiologist in the hospital that I work with. According to their assessment, that the, uh, the quality of the echogram in the Kupat Cholim is, is much lower quality than the echogram that would take place in the hospital. Therefore, I advise them to, in the first stage, to first round of tests, to do echocardiogram, regular echocardiogram in the Beit Cholim. It might get rid of the concern that they had in the clinic. And they won't have to do the one, I don't, I don't know, the, the transesophageal. The transesophageal, which I guess has much more complications or could have much more side effects. Right. right. But the clinic is not allowing, is not okay, is not uh, um, licensing them to go to the hospital to have the test. Okay, so, so somebody, everyone understand the, I don't understand exactly the differences, but. Well, so a regular echocardiogram, just lie down, they run something over your chest. Very simple, painless, no complications. It's transesophageal, you have to, you get the same instrument, but it's in your esophagus. It's a much mm. bigger deal. Mm. Okay, so so question number one, there's three questions here. Question number one is, Hifnit should we allow the patient to, sh- to present herself in the emergency room? Where really, her point of going to the emergency room is not because it's not an emergency, but she wants to get admitted in order to have the uh, this echo echocardiogram in the hospital. 
just because it's better quality. Question number two is hifnita Option number two, I don't know. Question number two. Option that's option one. Option two is hifnita cholel akulev toch veshte kamtzalat akul kubat cholel. It's just to allow to do the echocardiogram through the esophagus in the clinic. Option number three is hamatzalik cholel limamen al cheshbona bedikut akul regila betacholim. To advise the patient to assess her whether she needs to have the secondary one. The first one being the kind of a, a survey one to then see if she needs the one from the transesophageal. Mm. So I'm not sure how, how would they, would they get into the hospital. Is there fraud involved in the third option? No, it seems like the third one is just like you first do the one, the Beit Cholim, the, right, the so normal one, the Beit Cholim, to then decide whether you need the transesophageal. I'm saying why would they allow her, they won't allow her to do the normal one. That's they're basically they're saying. saying that they would allow you to do it in the clinic, but only if you first uh -huh. do it, and then if it satisfies certain criteria, then we would allow it in the, the argu clinic. The argument is this, if you do the one where you just put the thing on the chest, you can see many things, but there are some things that are very difficult to see. Whereas you can't you rule out everything. Right. If we were to pass the tube down the esophagus, first it's a little more complicated. You got to give them some anesthesia to not calm them down. You could, you got to pass the tube down the throat, but you can see things that you, with easier than you can with a regular echocardiogram <clears throat> because the transducer is very close to the heart. Mm -hmm. In certain, to certain parts of your heart that, so cardiologists, after having enough experience, they know, well, if you want to look at this, you're wasting Probably. your time to do it this way. Mm. You need to do the transesophageal. So an experienced cardiologist, yeah, you can do it, but you're wasting your time. You're not going to get the answer you want, or you're going to be worse. You're going to be misled into thinking there's no problem there because you can't really see the area you're interested uh, in. Okay, so, so before we go on, so does anyone have any, do you want to say our opinions? of what you would do in these cases. Lie. Or everyone agrees that lie, lie, lie. Everyone on the same page about lying here? We've all done it. I don't think it's a lie. <laughs> it's the same thing. Gotcha. It was like I defending your position. That was prevalent okay, at this time. Why would you say thing. in this case? You would do it. Okay. Yes, you would do it in this case. Anyone know? I'd tell them I want to have it done there and done. No, no, I'm saying you tell them it's not going to work. It has and to be, done, it has to be done, done by lying. The only way you can get it done you want to pay for is it. by lying. So that's the practicality of it. So what are you saying? And you tell the patient to pay? One second, you're talking out of both sides yeah. of your mouth. Are you telling the patient to pay privately or you'd lie to get the patient into I the hospital? I don't see it as a lie. You don't have to see it as a lie. Would you lie. Okay, good. That's all I want to know. I'm a liar. Okay. Me and Donald. Okay, so let's see what he says now. So if you turn to the back of your page, so this is a good, he starts off by quoting this Gemara in Erechim, totally out of context, totally not related to anything we're talking about, but it's, uh, he wants to bring this as a proof text. What page are we on? 23A. 23A. Yeah, so just to give you the context here, so th this is, Erechim is a track little tractate in, in Talmud not known so well, not so famous. It's cause really irrelevant to practical life because it's talking about when one, in those days the Torah talks about you can make a donation to the Beit HaMikdash or the Mishkan by you, you, you vow to give the value of object X. Like you, you say I'm donating the value of this. Okay, or whatever you're donating, and it becomes what's called hectish, sanctified, it now belongs to the temple just by your 
speech, by your declaration of saying, I'm donating this to the temple. In many cases, it could be the value. If you say, I'm donating the value, Erechim means value. I'm donating the value, I'm donating Ron to the temple. All right. right. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that now he's an indentured servant to the temple. It means whatever value, monetary value, Ron has, either be on the slave market or on the doctor market, however you want to assess it, different ways of assessing a person's value. His value, I would have to donate in cash to the temple. Okay, so that's what this tract is about. So obviously, it's not uh, so relevant. But the, so the Mishnah says here an interesting thing: a guy who um, it says uh, it's not before it starts on your page. It started. Uh, started a little later. But the original Mishnah said, "Hamaktish nechasav." Someone sanctifies their all their possessions. That means all their assets. They say, "I'm giving everything to the Beit Hamikdash." Okay, and amongst those assets is a ketubah tisha. That means uh, a ketubah that a woman has, he's married. So that means anyone it's who's married. It's not his possession. Yeah, but I'm saying he has an obligation to pay for it. So, well, one second, let me just see who, who's consecrating here. Good point. Um, so, meaning this, so the ketubah, the way the ketubah works is it belongs to the wife. As we know, Kluba is basically prenuptial, saying if get divorced or he, um, he dies, this is what he has to pay out to the wife. Okay, so it's, a, it's sort of like a lien. That means the problem is now, so he donated all his assets to the temple. The Ketuba, the way it works, let's say in my, when I, if I'm married, yeah, I'm married. Let's say uh, if I'm, 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 not if I'm, I'm married and I sell all my possessions. So those, the ketubah has a lien against those possessions. And let's say I know I'm getting divorced. I want to, many people do, they want to get rid of all their assets before the divorce. So the wife shouldn't be able to get it. So the halacha is no, you can't, you know it comes to the ketubah. Huh? Mm -hmm. well, I, was, I said you know my ex-husband. <laughs> when, uh, when it comes to the ketubah, so, so, um, there's a lien, meaning the tuba has a lien on those assets, even if they get sold. So you can't get out of paying the tuba. The, the rabbis because it's prior or, prior, or because it's yeah. stronger. But both. both. Prior, yeah, both. Okay. I mean, meaning they want to protect the woman and make sure she okay. gets paid. So he can't get out of it by selling his assets. So here he consecrated all his assets to the Beit Hamikdash. So what happens then? Says the Mishnah. He, um, he so when he divorces her, um, he has to now. They were concern, concerned about fraud, because. What happens is when he divorces her, the mission says he has to take a vow before the divorce that he's never going to marry her again. Um, meaning, what's the concern? The way I make sure I'm saying this correctly. Why? The concern is because he might just be getting divorced in order to get back the assets. Meaning, he consecrated all his assets to the base of English. Now they're they're poor. They're they're they're, they're foreclosure on their house, right? And uh, and now the question becomes: So he's going to get divorced in order to get the money back? He says, "Wife, listen, we'll tell everyone we get. Let's get divorced, mm -hmm. and then you'll get the money back from the mikdash. We'll have money to live for two years, three years, and then we'll get remarried." You get again. the money back from the guarantor, from the, or from, no, from, or from the, the, the one he already committed to. In this case, he consecrated all his stuff to the beta mikdash. Mm -hmm. So now he's saying, "Let's get divorced. We'll have you know mortgage payments for three years, and then we'll get remarried again after we get divorced. So we'll get the money." Once we get the money, we get remarried. It says, so therefore the, the rabbis understood Jewish husbands, and therefore they said, you can't do that. You could do that. But if you get divorced in this case, where you're, you, you gave all your assets to the Beit HaMikdash, you have to take a vow that you no longer, you won't marry this woman again. And a vow is very serious, so you have to take an oath that I'll never marry this woman again, because the concern of fraud, to prevent fraud from happening. Okay? So that's the case. So then the Gemara continues. 
um, here, and the Gemara says like this. It says um, the Mishnah quotes the Mishnah. It says Vechena Yub Shimon Ben Gamliel Omer. Similarly, Yub Shimon Ben Gamliel said, this is on the back of your page, um, that if one is a guarantor to a woman, that means it's the third party who many times on the Ketuba, the husband might not have assets. So someone else signs and says, listen, if he can't pay, in order for the woman to get to, in order for the guy to get a good shirk. So someone there's a third party guarantor could be the, his father or something like that. <coughs> you know, the poor guy's a rabbi, he doesn't have money, so the woman says, listen, I don't, you know, if we get divorced, you're not going to have anything to pay me. So, so the, there's a guarantor on the bottom of the ktuba that says, if you get divorced, this guy will pay out the ktuba if I don't have the assets, okay? That's, so he said the same thing. So Shem said the same halach applies. Anytime there's a guarantor on the ktuba, so we're concerned of fraud, because the guy might just need money. So he tells his wife, okay, let's get divorced, and then uh, we'll get the payout on the insurance claim, the ktuba in this case, and then from the guarantor, because I don't have the assets, and then we'll get remarried. So in every case, he says, the guy has to make a vow. Anytime there's a guarantor in a ktuba, we require the husband to make a vow that he'll never marry again, and this way, um, this way the assumption is he, he won't do it just for fraud purposes, even though I would say, to be concerned, the guy really, he's going to tell her, yeah, we'll get married again, and then he really doesn't want to stay married. <laughs> there's another, uh, he might fraud her. But anyway, okay. So, um, so it says, so the problem is now the Gemara brings a story. It says in a story, it says, there's a story that seems to contradict this halacha, a story about a rabbi. And we assume rabbis don't contradict halacha in most cases. So it says like this, Moshe bar second paragraph, Moshe bar arva de kalsehavi. Moshe bar was some rich guy, was a guarantor for the ksuba of his daughter-in-law. So his son got married, his son was some rabbinic scholar, his name was Ravuna, who had no money. He was in Kolo, he, he had nothing. So he, he guarantored, this is good stuff, very important. <laughs> so he, he guarantored the ksuba um, of his daughter, of his future daughter, of his daughter-in-law. Ravuna braids over Rabbanavi. Ravuna was his son, who was a young rabbinic scholar, but he was in the severe financial states, as most uh, Orthodox rabbis are, at least. Amar Abaya, hinted. So he says, Amar Abaya, leka denasvei eitz Ravuna. So there's no one to counsel Ravuna. The guy, poor guy, starving. Go counsel him. Someone should give him advice. Let him divorce his wife. And then he can collect the money from, from his father. His own father is the guarantor. So his father will be forced. His father clearly doesn't want to support him, but he's going to be forced to support him to give him the money that he guaranteed in the ksuba. Let him marry, and then he can get remarried. Two weeks later, he gets to pay out, and then they'll get remarried. Why doesn't someone give him good advice? So the Gemara says. But we learned in our Mishnah that he would have to take a vow that he can't marry again. So your advice is not really helping him because he's going to be now he's going to be stuck without his wife, the love of his wife. So so Abaya, what did Abaya respond to him? Not everyone that divorces his wife divorces them in court. Meaning the court when you go for a get. So if there's a, you do it in the betin, which is uh, the regular case of divorce, should be ideally done with a betin. And, um, so, so in that case, so the betin will now require to make a vow when, when, there's a when they see the guarantor. But if he doesn't do it in a betin, a, a get is, is 100% kosher if you just have two witnesses. And the, you know, it's a kosher get, it's 100% kosher. All you need is two witnesses. You don't need the betin for the get. Ideal, it's ideal, but you don't need it. So, so, so just tell them to do it outside the betin. Do a get. Without going to Betin, no one's going to make make a vow. So what happened? The so Figloy Milsa the that the whole thing was irrelevant because it turned out Ravuna was really a Kohen. Kohen can't marry a divorcee, so this is not going to work for him. This case of 
quote-unquote fraud to get the money from his father is not going to work for him. It's not good advice because he's a Kohen. A Kohen can't marry a divorcee anyway. So he'd be stuck. So it was a bad, bad scenario. So Amar Abaya, so the story continues, Amar Abaya, Basar Anya Aslanis. So he, he made a comment, there's a quote somewhere else in Talmud, a famous, probably in English, um, saying also, but Gamar said it first, that uh, poverty follows after the poor, meaning when someone is poor, for some reason they always end up with the, you know, shaft. You know, it's very hard to get out of, you know, they try everything, you know, they had this great investment, but they always uh, made, always, someone who doesn't have money always gets, ends up in the bottom of the totem pole, for whatever reason, God has it, God has it out for them. So this poor guy, he had to end up being a cone, he could have had it good. But now he's a guy, and he's, he's, he's nothing he can do. He's stuck. So, um, so, so the Gemara says now, how could the suggestion have been made in the first place? Basically, you're telling someone to commit fraud. That's what they're doing here. It's, listen, is it? It's trickery. Right? He has no intention of divorcing his wife. He wants to do it, so he's going to do this whole shenanigan to fraud his father and make believe he got divorced. His father will pay out. He says, ah, no, 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 trick you. Right, so how could you suggest it? You might ask the question. Rabbi himself made a statement, Azur Rush Arm, who is a person described as a cunning evildoer. Zaha Macy Aitza, someone who gives counsel, Limkar Benachasim Kumshimangamlil, to sell his properties like Kumshimangamlil, meaning meaning he wants to get out of paying the ksuba, meaning he wants to get it back, or whatever the case is, like we suggested. This case where he's gonna sell it in order to get divorced, to get back, to get the ketuba back from his um, better or whatever. Okay, so, so he's saying that he called that person a uh, Rasha Arum. That means a a, uh, a cunning evildoer. Arum also could mean naked, but either way, it's not a good statement. And here he's suggesting that he should have done this. So so what's going on? So clearly, meaning the Gemara is saying, even though, again, this and we'll see what this means. I'll explain in a second. So the Gemara answers. What's the Gemara's answer? How could he suggest to do this? Breishani. Two, two, uh, or it's really one thing. He's saying he was his son, and he's a young scholar, so that's different. The young scholar and his son. You want to trick the father was an idiot. He's not supporting his son who's studying Torah, chutzpah. So yeah, you know, you want to. Well, he had a good reason to trick him. Right. Meaning, meaning in this case, it's different. That's not called. Uh, you know, it's, it's the same trick, but you know. No, sorry, sorry. I'll say Okay, so so um, we'll see how they explain it. Real big here. So the other uh, one's for the sake of the patient. Here's for the sake of Torah. So one second, one second. Of, uh, the, so poor rab- rabbinical student. Anything's fine. Yeah. He's studying Torah. That's you can go kill somebody in Fifth Avenue for the sake of a young rabbinical student. Don't compare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just see if I made sure I explained this correctly. Where am I? Three A. You also mentioned about other people stealing medicine. If they're poor and they need medicine to save right. a loved one's life, they yes, can steal medicine. Yeah, but Pekor Nefesh, that's something else, which is not okay. so simple either, but let's assume, yes, Pekor Nefesh is something else. Here it's not Pekor Nefesh, really. It's not saving someone's life. It's complication. Well, in it's the a better case, test. it might be. Yeah, I'm saying it's a better test. It's, uh, you're right. If it's Pekor Nefesh, that's, that's, you know, that's a different question. Um, if it's 100%, you're saving a life. And then that went up, but a young I don't think anyone would say that this is. Steal medicine and sell it on the street because he's a young rabbinical student. Save his own life. Right. So, this um, is the example that they use. One second, wait, wait. Yeah, and for what? She didn't say what he brings, what, what he's going to do with this example. <laughs> There's two sides here. One is we're saying, four is a problem. The Gemara is obviously saying, even though you're not lying, you're not doing anything wrong, I'm divorcing, I'm going through the motion. That's what I want to point out here, and I think that's going to be a key point here is. 
this is not stealing. No one's going to say here stealing. It's this in the language in the Hebrew. I'm not sure how to translate it exactly. One is this gazel. Gazel. No one. There's no case that we're going to permit stealing, except the kolmefish maybe. Even then, it's questionable. But it's a different question. But this this gazel and there's something called harama. Harama means it's trickery, meaning it's a loophole in the law. It's, it's even more meaning there's a loophole, meaning there's ways you could get out of paying taxes. Listen, is it ethical? I don't know if this lawyer will say it depends what you can. You talk to like if you go, just had this recently, I asked my kind of question. There's oh, what's the difference between a, a 1099 and a W 2? So the, the, the IRS has 25, there's no clear definition. You can say it's like the insurance companies, there's 25 criteria for a 1099. So the, the way it works is, as my account told me, he says if you have a majority, if you have more than 10, then you're okay. That's the way the IRS works. I mean, it's not official rule, but. I mean, technically, they could arrest you for fraud if you take someone as a 10 but it doesn't have all these criteria. 22 criteria, I think. So if you, as long as you have more than 10, basically that's the unwritten rule. So meaning, it's, is it real? Is it, you know, it's technically you violated the law, but, but you're not. That's what I'm saying. Here, he's not doing it. He's not violating anything. He's divorcing his wife. He really is. He's going through a get. He's doing a valid get. He's doing everything properly. He's doing it for the purpose of making the money. Okay? Is that fraud? Is that stealing? I wouldn't call that stealing. It might be fraud or trickery. Surely Geneva's das, you know, what we discussed in the past, mm-hmm. creating the false impression that I, you know, I want to divorce my life. He doesn't want to divorce his life. But it's not stealing, and that's going to be a key difference here. We're not told, no one's saying you could steal. We're only saying the question is harama, which is like a trickery. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something which was... Technically, it, it works out. He can get impeached for that. Does, <laughs> does, does that status change when he remarries his wife? Which status? That, that it's not stealing. And that's basically the issue. No, I'm saying, listen, once you... No, I had every right to the tuba. She had every right to collect the tuba because she's right, divorced. Yeah, so that's fine. So, yeah, I'm saying just the that's fact that I got married later and now we're in love again. I'm going on another honeymoon with the tuba money. Now I'm going to go on a cruise around the world. That doesn't change. That doesn't make it more or less stealing. Yeah, the Okay, that's the question. Well, that's the question. They said it does. No, well, he's saying, how could you advise that? You're you're called a cunning conniving Russia, but how could you advise that? It's a punchline. Right? I know, I know, I know. I'll, next week will be also. We'll punch you next week. Um, <laughs> the way so you're framing it is applicable to the the two questions, the response. The way you're framing it, that you can, you know, it's vague as to whether you're lying or not. Everything's vague about it, which is the way insurance companies like it, so they can use the, the vagueness of the uh, their own rules to deny. So the way you're framing this one is like, technically you're doing everything, but you're kind of widening a small loophole to right, walk so through. That's the question, meaning can I use a legal loophole which through trickery? Meaning everything I'm doing, all my actions are legal. No one could come and say you stole. You didn't steal, listen, you got divorced. Super says you got divorced, you get the money. I got, I got, that's what I did. So it's very different than, let's say, I just want to say, that if you put the wrong code on, meaning if they right. intentionally code wrong, that's, that's not this case. That's not, that's stealing. That wouldn't be questioning. If I put a totally, I did, patient didn't even, uh, you know, he, I did a totally different procedure and I put a totally different code for the, because I want to get paid, that's called stealing. No one's going to, that's not even this case. This case is much more finessed, where you're doing something, technically everything is uh, chucked off all the boxes, I just, yeah, but Yossi, you know, again, you're missing the point. When you say put the wrong code, you may do something for which there may be, used to be maybe three choices. When they expand ICD-10, there now might be 30 choices. 
Now, it's a judgment call for which one of those okay. things it actually is. So you're, quote, putting the wrong one, but you don't no, know it's the wrong one. I'm not one. talking about the case. You're right. That's something we still have to figure out. I'm talking about where you intentionally put the wrong Okay. Code. You did a hernia and you claimed yeah. it was an appendix. Exactly. All right. So that's, uh, that's stealing. There's no question. I can't put that in over here. But in either case, so, so what does he want from this case? Back to the response. No, it's not on your page. I just put the case for him. Let me do. So he brings this Gemara, and he says he explains what does this mean. He's a son. He's a young rabbinic scholar. What does what does that have to do with anything? So he brings uh, one of the commentaries. Rabbeinu Gershom explains like this: Since it was for the purpose, it seemed like the Gemara saying, since it's the purpose of his son, and he's a rabbinic scholar, it's mutter to to do this trickery. So what does that mean? Rabbeinu Gershom uh, explains it. Breishani. He says his son is different. The self dovarol yosha. At the end of the day, he is entitled to his money anyway. He's, when his father dies, he's going to get this money, which is a questionable. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mean, he's in the will anyway. Rachel Yaitz eats a tova to advise someone, advice um, sh- for the purpose of tricking his father is mutter, even though his father is going to lose in this case. But self self, he says, I'll come tova avuro. It's the end of the way, it's good for the father also. Kibain, I kibain. Yeah, kibain, this is what he's saying. I mean, he says, kibain kacha ben yosheno. At the end of the day, his son's going to get his money anyway. So I'm not sure why that makes it good for the father. Let's finish what he says. So he says, we want to apply it here in this case. So we're advising the patient to, to present herself into the emergency room. It's not stealing. They're going to the emergency room. It's a room. It's a way, it's a legal way to get into the hospital. Just like all these uh, immigrants that come here and they don't have health insurance. So the way they need something done, they need aspirin. So you go to the emergency room and they, and they get a prescription for allergy medicine, whatever it is. Right? Or I'm exaggerating, whatever the case is. So, so... And we, the taxpayers, and the bank, right? But is that Geneva? No, they're they're legally allowed to. The law is the emergency room has to take them in, even no matter what. So, so they're, what they're doing by the law is legal. Is it right? Is it harama? Is it trickery? For sure. So he's saying it's the same thing here. It's not called stealing, but it's called trickery. The self self manipulation. Kaspe akupa manipulating the system. Kaspe akupa miyuadim lechaverim. Says the end of the day. The money of the of the uh, clinic of the kupa, which is the health fund in Israel, He says you have to view the health fund as the father of all the members of the of the of the health fund. So, so the, the except end of for day, one difference. The the difference is maybe it's not prohibited to give advice like this that they should present themselves in the emergency room. Yeah, it's a lot easier for the father to spend the money while he's alive than to spend it after he's dead. So they're saying they're not harming the father. Of course, they're harming the father. Once he's yeah. dead, who cares what happens to the money? But once he's alive, he might want to spend it on himself. Okay. The, so you could the, do that. This, this, the other thing this brings up, and it's relevant to the original question, you're being is taped. Snoring is being taped. So you have the whole internet. Is that medicine does not operate in a vacuum. uh, It operates in a culture and a politics. In this case, like the illegal aliens, the politics is such that an illegal (coughs) alien can walk into an emergency and must be treated, can't go to a doctor, and doctor said, no, I don't have to treat you. So it's not such a a loophole. You have to operate within the constraints of the system. So in Israel, they have this Kupat Cholim system. This is a system. Given that system, I wouldn't say it's situational ethics, but it's the way it really is. This is the way it works. Practically, this is the way it works. Like Mexico, you have to bribe the... Right, they put some constraints on you. 
you're obligated to offer the best care you can to your patient. The politics are such you can't do without some manipulation of the system as it is. You can't create the whole system right, so, so on your own. It's a good point. So we're going to see. So now, and this you mentioned this before, which is very important, which is the question, and this I think is a greater question, and we'll get to finish today, but is who is the doctor, assuming it's not, you're not private medicine, your own business, who is my obligation to? Is my obligation to, if I'm working for a clinic, so I'm an employee, quote-unquote, of the clinic, right? Employee, in this case, of Kupat Cholin. So is my obligation to the clinic or is my obligation to the patient? Or both, or a mixture of those two. And, and who am I trying to help here? Meaning, is my goal, since I'm employee of the clinic, do I have to do what's best for my employer? Or do I have to do what's best for my patient that's presenting in front of me? Because what's, what is the obligation of a Or best physician? for yourself. Because if what you go against the clinic, you could lose your job. Well, hey, well, uh, no, that's okay. part of the ethical compromise. Maybe, maybe. maybe but that, no, that no, there's no maybe that. about it. No, no, I'm saying it's not, they're not, he's just, a greater question here is, who is my obligation to? And, and forget this yeah. case, in general, so as a physician. So they can't fire right. you. What's that? Uh, it's a lifetime. It used to be. That's not that true. I know, I know. But they, the obligation was always first to the patient. In theory. Always. Theory, yeah. In theory. <coughs> These days, I don't know. Right. Th that's the essence of this problem. That but your employer is the clinic. You know, when we started medicine, 75% of people, of physicians, worked on their own. Now it's the opposite. 75% of physicians are employed by somebody, which means right away the doctor-patient relationship is fundamentally altered because you now have multiple masters. You're not doing what's best for the patient. You're now doing what's best for all those vested interests. So that's, that's what he gets into. Yeah. So I'll just read a, a little. We'll start. He says like this, if I die in the fact with Varenu, but you could clear. So he's saying, meaning, it sounds like you'd be able to recommend the patient to present to the emergency room. He says, but we need, we need to still, you know, get deeper into the question. Trey Cole says, I'm stuck with about by it. The law is any employee that works for a boss. He has to be completely given over to his boss, according to Allah, he's saying. And there's a lot of business ethics issues that come up, meaning you're, you're literally, you're a, uh, a slave, but you're an indentured servant to your boss. And you're, if you took this contract, you, you're contracted with this person, whatever the contractual obligations are, you have to keep to the T. For a the employee of Moshe Baretzvi, that's the, the guy in the story in the Gemara, the father-in-law, so his employee has to worry about Moshe Baretzvi, and not worry about Rav Huna, who's the son-in-law. He brings a Rambam, Shekosov, um, the Rambam writes, The Rambam writes in the laws of business ethics that an employee has to work for his boss with all his strength. Sorry, Yaakov, it's not to bring a proof when Yaakov worked for Laban. As we know, he says he worked 14 years, he sweat at night, he was up at night. He did, he did everything possible to make the most possible money for his employer at the time, for Laban. Um, that's what Yaakov's quote is. The Torah says, when Yaakov's complaining, after 14 years, the Laban tricked him. He says, with all my might, I did everything for you. I, basically, every possible way to, to increase the flock, I did that for you. The Rabbim quotes that to show that the obligation of an employee to an employer is your life is given over to that employer. Your, your obligation is to make sure that he does his, doesn't get harmed monetarily in any which way. That's part of the obligation of an employee. And he brings a Pesachetshuva, one of the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, which says that normally, let's say, when it comes to laws of damages, if I damage you, what's called through causation, a grama, 
I'm not I'm not liable. Okay, if I'm you know you know like I said, I let my dog out and my dog ate your petunias. Okay, so halachically you're not liable for those petunias. Okay, um, if my dog ate your petunias because that's called causation. I didn't damage it. It's the dog got out and then that caused. Uh, even though technically it's a liability on my part, but I don't have to pay for the petunias in most cases. If you ate the petunias, you got yes. all the problems. If I stepped on your petunias, then it's my problem. I drove over your petunias. I have to pay. But if my dog. Ate, so so he says, but the Pesachuva says, but that that law of causation does not apply to an employee. If an employee causes damage to the employer's things, he's he's always liable because his job is to do the best possible, take the best possible precautions to make sure his employer doesn't lose money. So that's what the, so he's just showing you how serious that obligation, employee, a contractual obligation to an employer, how serious it is. So who is he the says, employer here in this oh, situation? That's what he says. Says so the question becomes, on a doctor who's working for a clinic, who is there, who is the person that they have to be protecting here? With Sibrachalim, is it for the the, the the patients, the community of patients, or for each individual patient. So he's saying something else, really. He's cla- he, his two sides are saying, is the reason the Kupat Cholim is so cheap is because they say, listen, socialized medicine, We, if everyone goes to the hospital, we're going we're gonna to go bankrupt. And the Kupat Cholim would go bankrupt. They, don't have, they can't afford to pay the hospital rates for all the patients that need echocardiogram. So he's saying, so by you sending, so what's my job? Is my job to protect the community of patients or this individual patient? Which is a fascinating question also. Because it's not only about the insurance, and was, he's saying is, if I'm working with the Kupat Cholim, so I, you're right, this patient might need this better care, but if I, every patient that walks in the door, I get best possible testing, eventually the system is gonna, is gonna, go, is gonna fail. So he says, um, so I'll just finish the question here. Then it's a bad system. Well, that's socialized that's medicine. <laughs> We're not going there. Especially if, let's give Bernie his, his uh, few, a couple hours to enjoy. So he says, it makes sense that since the physician gets paid from each individual patient, which I'm not sure why it's true, so he gets a salary from the Kupa, so therefore, in a case where the physician is getting paid, then he is obligated, each one is a separate contractual obligation to each patient. He has to worry about what's best for this individual patient. To advise the patient what's best for their care, even if that best might be have a little trickery in it. And he has to give the best possible service to this patient that's in front of him. That uh, he says he brings because let's say you get into that situation, you're going to want that same best care. So whatever you whatever care you advise for yourself, as I always say, the standard thing when you ask a doctor or a friend for, for advice, you always say, what would you do for your family? If this was a family member, what would you do? Right, this way you know. If they're being honest with you, what what's the real care? I mean, what would you do in this situation? Would you have the surgery or not? If it's a family member, okay. So, so he's saying, so the doctor has to do what he would do for his family member. Moshe Metzia brings a, a story about Metzia that uh, that the Gemara says similar that you're returning a lost object. You have to, you know, you have to accept the simanim even if you're not sure it's his. Give it to him anyway because you would want someone to do that for you. So the same thing here. He's saying he seems to be saying that uh, you'd have the same issue here. So I have to do what's best for the